Cadell Evans is one of a kind, a private and passionate character who began life on a remote Aboriginal community before making his own Dreamtime story as the first Australian to win the Tour de France. What was it like riding alongside drug cheats, Lance Armstrong and Alberto Contador? And how did several near misses and a brush with death shape the life of an Aussie who climbed the ultimate mountain? Bruce. <laughs> You're looking fit. I, I knew you would be. <laughs> trying to. Trying to stay fit. Welcome to Off The Record. Ah, thanks for having me. It's all, it's all off the record anyway, isn't it? So. It is, and it's a pleasure to have you, mate. I do have a bone to pick with you. Tell me. Um, Middle-aged men in lycra. <laughs> Mammals. I reckon you're personally responsible. Fortunately, I think I retire from professional sport. I instantly become um, middle-aged man in lycra and um, I've got a lot to answer to, <laughs> but I think everyone who runs a coffee shop anywhere that's anywhere near a good piece of cycling is happy, happy for my efforts, I think. The explosion in the, the popularity of road racing, it, it's phenomenal and, and look, you've got a lot to do with it. it. It's really taken off in the last decade. I'd, um, I'd like to think so. It's, um, I, I came into the sport a little bit, little bit by accident in the early 90s and that was through sort of friends and so on and, and then all of a sudden I found I became involved in a sport which became my life in the end. It, um, I started competing at age 14. Um, I went to my first Olympics I think when I was uh, 19. And, um, but in the end, I, what, I, what the sport gave me, the life experiences it gave me, the people I met, the places I've been to, it's, um, I'm, a, I'm a fitter, healthier, more educated person, thanks, for, thanks to the butt. Your career, four-time Olympian, only man to be number one in mountain biking and road, the only Australian to win the Tour de France, a world champion. Encapsulate it for us from your point of view. I'm proud of what I did, proud of what I achieved. I could have I achieved more, but I could have achieved a lot less. But overall, I gave everything that I could from a sporting point of view. I gave everything I could from a, like a, a personal, discipline, motivated point of view. The day that I came, that I crossed the last finish line, I came up to the last sprint of my last race, didn't have any, any regrets. And that was always a motivator for me. But I step away from the sport, very grateful for everything that the sport gave, gave back to me. Reclusive, charming, shy, generous, prickly, candid, awkward, intelligent. Words that maybe have been used to, you know, people that think they know you. Who are you? How, how, what word would you use to describe yourself? Um, I'd say uh, by nature reserved. Um, from an athlete's perspective, very concentrated. Um, as a person, I'd like to think I'm actually reasonably relaxed after the hard work's done. And um, Overall, I certainly hope to think I learn it. <laughs> I learn a lot from life's lessons in these, in these sort of, in the whole adventure of me that was my my sporting career. You're in a sport that you love, you're passionate about, and yet it's a sport that, at your level, is so scrutinised. And you like the quiet life. I mean, how how did you get around all of that? Um, yeah, I um, I. I really went into sport to go in and do my best, and and sometimes being concentrated on doing the best wasn't wasn't always the best way to deal with being in the maybe the public eye, and especially at the races and the Tour de France. It's um, strange. You're um, a human being. You have a life, and you have a profession as well. But um, something, if you're a favourite for the Tour de France or something, everywhere you go, 
every person, people you meet, oh, how's it going for the Tour de France? How, are you going to win this year or something? And when you get this every single day, everywhere you go, at the supermarket, at the bakery, at the hairdresser, you're like, ah. I go and do these things to get away from the bike because I've been on my bike for six hours or something, training for it and thinking about it. And, um, and that, that sometimes I didn't like so much. Let's go way back and tell us about your first bike. As, as far as I remember, uh, my father drove me to a shop somewhere. We were living in um, Bamilly in the Northern Territory, Aboriginal settlement in the Northern Territory. Where's that, by the way? Um, some distance from Catherine in the Northern Territory. Um, so we're remote? The middle of nowhere, a little bit further south. As far as I know, as far as I remember, I was only two or something. In the bike shop there were two bikes, an orange one and a red one. And I liked the red one. But the orange one was closer, so I grabbed that one. Now I want this one. And for years I probably regretted, why didn't I take the red one? But anyway, I had an orange, I think a 16-inch BMX, and um, it started there. And living in a quiet, remote place like that, I think, as far as I knew, my mother would tell me I'd go off riding. And um, when my mother needed to find where it was, she'd call the dog, and the direction the dog came from, she'd go and look for me there. You're kidding. And that's, that's, that's where it all started. <laughs> I don't reckon having the red or the orange made much of a difference to your career, by the way. Uh, don't yeah, worry. I had a few bikes since then, Don't actually. worry about it. OK? Put I'm, it, I'm put over it, it now. Put it out of your mind. You're one of our greatest ever athletes. Were you a good athlete at school? Were you... I was terrible. I was really bad. I would say I wasn't very good at Australian sports. If we had mountain bike racing at school, I'm sure it would have been all right. But When did you decide that your passion uh, as a bike rider would become your career? I, I took a decision one day at age 15 or something Whatever, whatever training's required, whatever sacrifices are going to needed, I'm, I'm going to do this. One step of the journey is to become a professional. Then when I arrived, I'm like, well, how good a professional can I be? Can I be the best? And, and then, the, then the next step, a part of the journey started trying to be number one in the world. So from 15, really, you dedicated yourself. So you didn't have what we'd call a normal teenage life in a way, did you? Um, do, yeah. do you regret that at all? Maybe sometimes, but then I realised it's really easy to catch up later. <laughs> Work hard, go to the Olympic Games, and then go to a party. Um, the party's really good, man. You've got to be as tough as nails to be great at bike riding, and you proved it very early on, because something really dreadful happened to you when you were very young, didn't it? Um, yeah, I, um, I'm some in a lot of ways. I should uh, acknowledge it today. I'm, I'm lucky to be here. I had a life-threatening accident. Um, I was eight years old. The family had horses and um, one, one of those little foals um, got in its way when it was gone and got a bit excited and it sort of clipped me around the ear, so to speak, but with its foot and depressed skull fracture, six, airlifted to hospital, six days in a coma, high risk, brain damage, even death. Uh, so I came out of it emaciated, hypertrophy, no muscle strength, and couldn't even walk, um, didn't have enough strength to walk and things like that. And um, I didn't realise it at the time, but I used to get these really solid headaches for years to come. And funnily enough, to deal with that, I think, helped me deal with the discomfort of, and suffering as a, that you go through as a road rider. Often in the Tour de France or something, you're having a bad day, you're on the mountainside, and you just, you just got to stay in there and just suffer on the bike. Got a nice big scar that runs yeah. on 28 stitches in my head to put the put the piece of fractured skull back in place, and um, and that's that's the gentle reminder that I have now. Mountain biking in the 1990s, you're forging a reputation and a career, but we don't know a lot about mountain biking in Australia. We do know a lot more now because it's at the Olympics. But how big a deal was it when you were in making a career for yourself and, and a reputation? 
it was quite big in America, it was quite getting bigger in Europe and um, it was um, in its own little world and a world that I like to be in and I, um, I discovered a sport that suited me well. I like the aspects, you're out in the forest, you're training hard, you have to be fit to go uphill but you have to be quite technically, have a fair bit of technical prowess to do all the descents and it was, uh, yeah, it was a great school to learn in and um, it, I'd say mountain biking as a sport was slightly more advanced than road cycling in um, the, way, the way riders prepared. I used that similar sort of template adapted to the road and that's what actually won me the Tour de France sort of ten years later. A famous commentator Phil Liggett made one of the biggest calls ever during the 1998 Tour of Tasmania. You were just 20 and Phil said this, this Cadell Evans could win a Tour de France, you know, it was a, it was a pretty big call. He wasn't the only one saying that I think, uh, to be honest, but what are your memories of that Tour of Tasmania? Because um, you were still mountain biking obviously and doing yeah, the, the my bike. Yeah, my, my main motivation was still dedicated working towards the Sydney Olympics mountain bike in 2000. And I remember seeing some of my counterparts in, at the time who were from another era of cycling shaking their head and scoffing at the idea that a, a mountain biker could win the Tour de France. Now, um, now I suppose Phil Liggett's words, are, words have become a little bit gospel and um, I'm glad he was right. Let's stay with mountain biking for a moment because the Sydney Olympics are a big deal. I mean, you've been to one Olympics and you've performed pretty well. You get to Sydney and I think you're probably the favourite and it's your hometown Olympics. Yeah, yeah I went into Sydney um of course, and also as, a, as an Australian athlete, well, this could be the greatest race of my, my, my career. I'm racing at the Olympics and um, I think the year before I'd, um, I'd, I'd won the Mountain Bike World Cup for the second year in succession, so at the top level I was right there. Look at the sweat dripping off his nose there. This man is making the big effort now, driven on by a home crowd here. I think everybody wants this man to win because everybody likes him. Things go in cycles in life and um, my sporting performances but also my luck and bad luck when it seemed to go in cycles as well. And every fourth year I'd have injury, illness or something and it just happened every year, every fourth year unfortunately for me the year of the Olympics and it started in 2000 where I had for the first time setbacks through injury. And he's held on to his seventh place very disappointed but salutes the crowd. Yes that's been a tough ride for Cadell today. Four time Olympian it's a, it's a massive effort. You know Wearing the green and gold, representing your country, um, can you give us a, an overview of, of, of life as an Olympian for Cadell Evans? I was um, very focused at the top end of the sport. I was very, I'd say I was quite elitist in my, in my own mindset and my approach. It was all about the result. This is the Olympics, what do I have to do to, can I win a medal? Can I win a gold medal? What do I have to do to do this? And that was the process. And, uh, things didn't happen, I didn't win a goal. Disappointing result, okay, next goal. Unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. Now I look back at it as an amazing experience, experience I'm very grateful and, and fortunately, before my sporting competitive career ended, I could, um, I could experience it. 2005, it's a, it's a big year, isn't it? Um, Chiara, you get married, you ride your first Tour yeah, de France. debut at the Tour de France and um, for me, going to the road, it became obvious after my first Grand Tour that I could be a, a good Grand Tour contender. Funnily enough, I had an injury in the lead-up Friday the 13th. I crashed, a bit of a setback, but by then, experience dealt with it, got on with it, and um, it was last, uh, Lance Armstrong's last, uh, last, um, I suppose, last participation in the tour. It was going to be his last Tour de France, and um, it was pretty impressive to see that on uh, first hand and <laughs> feel the pain in your legs of trying to follow those guys. I came eighth overall. That was my point of reference, and um, 
got married that year and, and that started that whole, that whole phase of my life which was you know, geared around the Tour de France for the next, um, what was the next seven or eight years was dedicated to, um, to performing at my best in the Tour de France. Cadell, for us mere mortals, just how gruelling, how difficult physically and mentally is a, a Tour de France? The main thing I noticed when I started riding Grand Tours, of course, as a road rider, you riding a peloton. We, I think people who have never seen a road race are probably surprised at how close we ride to each other. Taking position, race tactics, have a drink, something to eat, left turn, right turn, uphill, downhill, traffic island, roundabout, <laughs> crash, dog on the road, spectator, all these things. The concentration required is quite high, but that, I think, young riders, they get to the tour and they don't realise how draining that concentration is. But if you're having a bad day, it's really, really, really hard to stay there. And at a certain point, you get to a point where physically you can't give any more. Then your mentality takes over and you're just coming, you're digging into yourself mentally pretty deep. And that's where I think sets um, the best Grand Tour riders uh, apart, from, apart from the good Grand Tour riders. Lance Armstrong, um, what's he like? Um, as a rider, he was quite concentrated. Um, to speak with on a personal level, he was quite friendly. I was always quite respectful of him uh, in terms of um, he's, he was the, the boss of the peloton. You didn't want to mess with him. But what about the damage? To the sport so... that you love, the damage of the reputation? I suppose the biggest thing that I want is that um, people recognise that the sport's working hard to catch the cheats and so therefore give it credibility. Unfortunately what I think has happened in cycling often where anything that's self-regulatory, it's like, would well, you want to clean it up and look bad or do you want to not clean it up but not look bad and unfortunately that's not the right situation there. At that point nothing should be, nothing should be self-regulatory if that's going to be the outcome. So cycling got to a point and deservedly so, it had gone too far, I think the Festina affair and, and with Armstrong and everything, it had gone too far and so they've gone about with passport controls, athletes whereabouts. Um, when you're drug testing someone, you have to be 100% sure that it's, it's right. If there's 1% of doubt, it's, um, it's not actually, a, it doesn't stand up in a court of law. And this is what was Lance Armstrong's out doing. As I say, and I always did say, he's a pretty clever businessman. I say in the businessman in terms of he made a lot of money out of being a, a Tour de France rider. Um, but then I think what he didn't anticipate was the investigative powers of something like the um, federal police having people testify and piecing these things together and using it all together to bring down what, was, you know, what, they, what they say was the most sophisticated uh, doping system in, in sport, I understand. I'm um, some months out of retirement. I still have to submit my athlete's whereabouts uh, every day, give a window of a testing opportunity where I am every day, and um, I don't mind doing that because I'm, um, I'm here to, to respect the rules in my sport and um, I also understand why, why, why this is done in our sport and I respect that. When you were competing, what did you know? Did you know and what did you see? Did you see things that alarmed you? As an athlete, you also have to think of your own confidence. So if I saw something or suspected something or heard a rumour, and um, cyclists are pretty known gossipers, so rumours are, <laughs> are plentiful, um, I tried to put it out of my mind and I didn't want to know about it. As an athlete, I'm going on the start line, I'm going against these guys, and I want to be confident that with the training that I've done, with the amount of ability that I have, the, with the race now that I have to race my bike tactically and, and, and efficiently, um, that I'm going to be how to beat these guys or at least be, be competitive with them. 
And, and for that reason, I always put it out of my mind. I'm not going to get paid the prize money that maybe I was beaten by a cheat in X race in 2003 or something. I'm not going to cry about some water that's some long run under the bridge. Maybe what sometimes I was maybe cheated out of a victory or something, I've sort of won back in life in other ways. And um, for that reason, in my last race there, I had I'm written on my bike forever grateful because I really am going to be forever grateful for the for the, for the opportunity that um, the sport of cycling gave me in life. I, I love numbers and 2007, 2008, 42 stages, 7,000 kilometres, 81 seconds. Stop you from being back to back. Tour de France champions. I recognise those numbers. Um, on percentage terms, lose the Tour de France. Uh, I think that year it was about 87 hours of racing by 23 seconds. <sighs> Kept me hungry. Uh, I learned a lot from it, and um, in the end, I was um, eh, close, but not there. But um, and then again, I got myself in the situation the next year. I'm sort of the 2008 Tour de France second at 51 seconds. Yeah, same thing, loser of the Tour de France. But um, yeah, that's, that's cycling though, it's like you're there, but if you're five centimetres back, no, it's sort of all or nothing. Let's talk 2011 Tour de France. 10 years I've committed in my life to, to, to performing in this event and finally it all came together with a great group of guys in a great team, in a great ambience. Last five kilometres of the final time trial of the Tour de France is normally the hardest five kilometres of the entire Tour de France. On this occasion, I was just floating into Grenoble. And, um, oh, well, this is nice. We did it, okay. Beautiful. At the time, I couldn't really appreciate it with everything going on, but um, now I look back at it and it was just the most um, satisfying moment of my sporting career. I see the images today of us hugging each other on the Champs-Élysées and it's still in my mind. It gives me goosebumps just watching it and, of course, being there in the middle of it all, with, especially with those guys and a great group of guys who I'm great friends with most of them still today. It's um, amazing, amazing life experience. You come home for the homecoming parade, and I think you say to your mum, will anyone be here? And, and, and then you, you, there's a realisation when you get off the plane and you look at something, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there's like a two-storey high billboard, congratulations, Cadell, and there's me standing there in the yellow jersey. Oh, oh there was some people watching here. Um, I really feel that Australia have a, Australian sports fans have a fantastic attitude in they stick by the guy who's always there, the guy who had to follow the harder path to get there rather than be focused on the results. And Australia congratulates Cadell. Well done. I feel like I had a lot of Australia support along with me for the ride, along with me for the adventure, and, um, and that was, I think, a, a, great, a great way to work for me psychologically, but also for, for all of us to sort of follow the journey. It's one of the greatest moments in Australian sport. It, it, it is. To hear that from you, that's, um, that's, that puts it in, uh, puts it in um, a different, uh, different scale for me. Your son, Robel. Just tell us a little bit about him. Little guy, um, loves riding his bike. Took his train wheel, rode without uh, training wheels at two years, 10 months of age. I think I was off them by four. My, my own son beat me on that regard, so going on, um, going on, um, on uh, cues of talent, he's more talented bike rider than I am on, in that regard, I suppose. I never ever pushed him to ride, but he loves it and um, yeah ball of energy and um, yeah, we, we started chose to start a family through adoption and it's um, of all the things I've had in my life the, the most beautiful experience um, going through that process and and, and, be, and starting a family in that way. 
Cadell, what's his story, the little fella? He, um, as far as we know, he was found uh, abandoned on the street in uh, Shashamani, a town in the south of Ethiopia. Clean, healthy, but abandoned. No history of his family, no history of his background, and um, what forces people to be in that kind of situation, who knows, but also, I, I suppose, in some ways, um, you know, to, to not know his background, maybe that's, um, you know, maybe that's uh, a good thing. He's very, uh, he's very clever. He's very, uh, very, very energetic, and um, yeah, of course, he's, um, yeah, he's my, he's my son. Yeah. And fatherhood. Fatherhood, um, amazing how much you learn about yourself through fatherhood. I know you and Kiara have recently separated. That's never easy. Yeah, never easy, but um, yeah, that's life. Life it has uh, ups and downs, and uh, I think the I think the important thing is to be focused on the well-being of the of the children. In this case, there's one child, so we. Uh, we work together to make sure make sure he's always he's always healthy and well, and um, he seems to have handled things very well. So we we can we continue on in our in our lives, but slightly separately. Do you think ever about what your legacy is? What you may have left for the future riders or sports people of Australia? Um, I hope to have um, been a good example of what can be done um, in the sport of cycling, but also I suppose sport and beyond sport. I just hope I'm looked back at back at in my career for 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 not what what results I did, of course, but I suppose what I did uh, and how I got there and 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 how I went about it. You know, I think I'm the oldest um, post-war Tour de France winner. We're talking about the oldest tour, oldest winner of the Tour de France for 86 years or something like this, and um, I'm kind of proud of that because I was also I think I'm still today the youngest rider ever to win a mountain bike World Cup on the other end of the um, scale. So I'm quite proud that I had a, a long and consistent career over a long period of time. I think in the end, overall, my legacy, so to speak, will be for, for other people to decide. There's probably a little boy on a BMX and. The middle of nowhere, or south of the middle of nowhere, right now, thinking to himself, "Well, I could be Cadell Evans, yeah." And if 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 he goes on to win the Tour de France, people say it's not possible. <laughs> Don't believe them, mate. Keep working at it. What a, what a career! Thank you very, what a, very what much. What a career! It's been a pleasure. Thank you.